Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm well, thank you. Good to hear. We'll get straight into it. And of course, uh, only place to start is the Milan derby on Sunday evening, it was, of course. Ended one all. Um, I think the main talking point from the game, Francesco, was the first inter-penalty um, you know, clash between Kessie and Chalanolu, uh, former teammates, of course. I know you've been critical of how many penalties we're seeing in Syria this season. Do you think this was a fair call or, or another soft one? I think this was a penalty. Um, I think that the only argument for it not being a penalty was maybe Chalanoglu you could argue that he fouled Kesti first. I mean, some people are arguing that. I don't think that's the case. I think um, Kesti has basically lost the ball. Chanaloglu gets in front of him. And then in trying to win a free kick himself, because I think that's what Kesti was doing, falling over, um, he sticks his leg in between Chanaloglu's legs and he causes Chanaloglu to fall over. So I think it, it's the right decision by the referee. And of course, Chalololu then stepped up and scored the penalty, uh, sort of cupped his hands to his ears in front of the Milan fans because, of course, he left them on a free transfer to go to Inter in the summer. Um, what do you make of that whole instance? I know that Milan's fans have then left a, left a message on the bridge, which, which isn't the nicest message, of course. It, it seems to have got very sour between, between Chalololu and, and the Milan fans, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I have no real issue with Chalanoglu doing that. It's, I, don't, I don't love that he did it, but, I, you know, I'm not offended by it. And um, other other players like Ibrahimovic and Ronaldo have done similar things in the other direction. Um, what I would say is, if you are going to do something like that, then you have to win the game. <laughs> I think if you're... Uh, if you're doing that, you know, kind of eight minutes in, then you want to make sure that you win the game so that you don't look a bit of a dipstick. I think once you do that and you don't win, then um, you don't come off very well. So that's the only thing I'd say about it. But I have no real issue with it. And I agree with you. I think what the Milan fans have said today in that in that banner is, is you know, some pretty heavy stuff. And I guess because of that, Chanaloglu might be regretting it because um, there was no real need to antagonise him. And actually, during the week, he's been saying that he still gets on with, well with the Milan fans and they still come up to him and speak to him in the street. So, yeah, I think it was unnecessary. And But the main thing is, if you do something like that, then, then win the game. Yeah, so I suppose with you saying that sort of Ronaldo and Ibrahimovic have done that in the past, I guess maybe they can get away with it a bit more because they are elite players and I, I think you'll struggle to say that Chalanolu's quite in that class but um, yeah of course uh, they didn't go on to win the game but but the other player I wanted to touch on from that incident was Kessier who um, you know last season I, I know you think that he was the best midfielder in Serie A last season he certainly has a strong case um, but this season he's been way off that hasn't he Um Obviously, he started the season with an injury, which made him miss a couple of games. He also missed a game with the flu, I think, a couple of weeks back. But why do you think he's off the boil at the moment? Is it this transfer speculation or, or is it something else? There is a chance that he is distracted by, uh, you know, what's happening off the field. You know, he hasn't signed a new contract and it's up at the end of the season. 
and I imagine that he is discussing with his agent what his options are. But I actually don't think he's been that bad this season. I, I agree with you that he's not been as good as he was last season, but even yesterday, I know that he made the mistake for the for the penalty, but generally I thought his play was fine. I think one of the reasons that maybe we're we're thinking that Kessier has not been as good as last season is it has got to do with how good Tornali's been. I think he has been the star of that Milan midfield. I think is it's a bit of a surprise because um, I, I certainly wasn't expecting him to be that good, but he has been excellent. I think he had another good game yesterday, and so probably it's a mix of you know Tornali being very good and kind of taking a bit of the limelight, but also how good Kese was last season, it's difficult to replicate that. I, I think he's been okay. There's a chance he's been distracted, but but generally I'd say his play is, is fine. Yeah, I feel Kese has had a bit of a strange career at Milan, to be honest, because he's obviously been there a bit over four years now. In the first couple of years, I wasn't overly impressed. And then, you know, under Pioli, 18 months, he was he was brilliant. And then he seems to have gone off the boil a little bit. So I know he's been linked with the Premier League. He's been linked with Spurs quite a bit. So some of their fans ask me, oh, what sort of player are you getting? And I'm like, well, if you get the one we've seen over the last 18 months, you're getting a really good player. But if you get the one that we saw under Gattuso for a couple of years or the one we've seen the last couple of months, maybe not so much. What, what do yeah. you think? Well, you know, I, I think that any player that leaves Atalanta is destined to play badly for at least two years. I actually think Kese has bucked the trend by becoming good again, because if you look at all the players who seem to do really well at, at, at Atalanta, so players like Cristante, players like Gallardini, um, players like Mancini even you know these guys they play for Atalanta and they're, they're really really good they look like they're going to go on and become stars in massive sides and then they they struggle I think probably to do with how Gasparini plays which is quite different from everyone else so and I think he did you know you're right for those first couple of seasons that he was at Milan he was disappointing but um, at the same time Milan were probably going through one of their darkest periods ever at the time and he has come through the other side and I think I think the real Kessier is probably closer to what we've seen last season and in, in bits this season. Um, I really hope he stays with Milan uh, and certainly I hope he stays in Serie A, but if he were to go on to a, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, then I don't think he'd be out of place there. I think he's, he's a, really is a top midfielder. Yeah, I, I guess when you look at those players that went from Atalanta to Milan all in 2017, you know, Caldara and Conti have both had multiple knee injuries since then. So I guess you could say he's been the most fortunate of the trio uh, and, and has then, as you said, been able to kick on over the last 18 months. Yeah, there's a there's a post-Atalanta curse, you're right. Anyone who leaves Atalanta, you know, you, you want to do it. You want to make sure you're sure about what you're doing before you do that. I don't know if Gasparini's got uh, some sort of spell that he does or something. Yeah. Quite possibly. Um, and then the, the last sort of individual player I want to touch on from the game is uh, is is the Milan goalkeeper, Tata Rosanu, who um, I think when it was announced that Menon was injured and was going to be out for two to three months, there were a lot of concerns amongst the Milan fans um, because we've seen Tata Rosanu a couple of times before, didn't look great. But he seems to have done OK, right? And, and, and that penalty save was pretty much as good as it gets because it wasn't a bad penalty. And he not only parried it, but was able to get the rebound. Um, so, so what have you made of him in the last sort of few weeks, uh, deputising for Menon? 
I'd say he's been an exemplary substitute goalkeeper in that I personally haven't really noticed him until this weekend. So I think with a goalkeeper, that's that's usually a good sign. I know that Milan have conceded a few goals in recent games, but I can't think that any of them were particularly his fault. Um, he seems to be popular with the other players. And you're right, I think the penalty that Lautaro Martinez takes is not a bad one. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Tatarusano, who, who I think makes an excellent save. And yeah, I don't think that Milan, well, they haven't, they haven't missed Magnan. It's not affected their league position at all. So I think that is testament to how well Tatarusano has done. Yeah, re- really good penalty save. But shades of Donnarumma, of course, who's, who's got an excellent record from penalties. Um, and, and I just want to touch on the game as a whole. It, it seemed that, you know, I, I don't mean there were too many complaints about it being a draw, but it seemed that Inter probably had the better chances, despite Milan hitting the post late on, of course. Is that how you saw it? Do you think if one side's going to be disappointed with just the point, it's probably Inter? Yes, I agree with that. I think that Inter, whilst they didn't dominate, they definitely had the better chances. I think the XG backs that up. I think they had kind of close to three expected goals, whereas Milan's was kind of 1.5. And um, the other, what I would say is this, which is a little bit concerning, I say from Inter's point of view, is this is kind of the fourth game they've had against one of their rivals in adverted commas if you think about the Juve, Atalanta and Lazio the other big teams they played so far this season in all of those games they've been ahead I would argue that in all of those games they've probably deserved to win on the balance of play and yet they haven't won any of them um, and those it, it's probably because of those results that they aren't much closer or even ahead of Milan in the league right now um, I th- I'm getting the feeling with Inter that that they're not killing teams off. Um, and, and I think the same thing happened this weekend. From Milan's point of view, um, I think it's a good result. They, you know, they've stayed seven points ahead of, of Inter and because Napoli didn't win, they're still top of the league. So, uh, you know, really good f- for them. But I think Inter, on the balance of players, well, the, the quality of the chances they created, you know, they, they should have scored again. And uh, I definitely think they will be disappointed that they, they didn't win and close the gap. Yeah, just last thing I wanted to mention from that game. I'm a big fan of Tamori, of course. We've spoken about him a lot. And uh, even bigger fan after he wheeled away like he'd scored a brilliant header and then, <laughs> then the replays came on and he'd not actually touched it. I think I think that's brilliant. Um, but you, you spoke about Napoli just then uh, and how they didn't win this weekend. They were held to a one-all draw by Verona. Um, Verona, I think, you know, outside that top two are probably the informed team in the league right now. And, and they've got the informed player in the league uh, in, in Giovanni Simeone. So do, do you see this as two points dropped for Napoli? Um, or is this, a, is this an OK result, given that they were playing a, a very good Verona side at the moment without... Kaladu Koulibaly, of course, who was suspended. Is it an OK result for them, would you say? I think it's it's an OK result. I think, like you say, Verona, uh, since Tudor's taken over, have been their form has been as good as, as the top teams. I think only Napoli and Milan have got more points since Tudor's taken over, so they have been really good of late. Um, having said that... Um, Napoli have got some tough games coming up. They play Inter next. And with Milan drawing, 
it was an opportunity to go top of the league. Um, but all things considered, you know, 12 games in, they're unbeaten. They've only drawn two. Um, I think they can be more than happy with how things are going. And yeah, that's interesting that you, that you mentioned. Obviously, Napoli do have a couple of tough games coming up. Um, it seems like we've, we've probably got a three-horse race for the title this season with Napoli, Milan and Inter, obviously seven points adrift, but you feel maybe they can close that. So out of those top three sides, would you say that coming out of the weekend, Milan will, would certainly be the happiest given they maintain the gap to Inter, they didn't lose any ground to Napoli, who then have a couple of really tricky games coming up? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Milan must be happy with with how things are going because I also think that they've probably had the toughest set of fixtures so far. Um, They've played quite a few of the top teams already and uh, Napoli still have to do that. So, uh, you know, this this weekend, I think Napoli must have been thinking was an opportunity to to possibly put some ground between them and Milan or at least extend their lead over Inter and, and they weren't able to do either of those things. So... Um, yeah, I definitely think Milan will be happy with how, how things went this weekend. A team that won't be happy with how things went this weekend are Roma uh, and, and how things are going in general, actually. Um, this was the Sunday lunchtime game, I believe. And these ones always tend to be a bit manic, I find. I, I, I don't know if there's any evidence to back that up, but I do feel like quite often the Sunday lunchtime games a bit crazy. Um, and they lost 3-2 to Venezia. I think they've only won one of their last seven games in all competitions now, Roma. Um, and they're conceding so many goals. So is Mourinho under quite a bit of pressure already or, or is it not fair to say that? I think he is under a bit of pressure. I think a lot of it is has been created by himself because he keeps coming out and saying things uh, that makes it sound like he doesn't like the squad he's got. It makes it sound like the club hasn't backed him, even though I think Roma had the highest spend out of all the Serie A clubs this summer. Um, and that's not going to help him. Um, I, I I know that he's on a, a very big wage, so I think it's unlikely that Roma would get rid of him. But he, he I feel like he is making things more awkward than they need to be kind of from a communications point of view, in terms of how he appears in the media, I think he's saying things publicly that that don't really need to be said and, and that's causing him problems and adding to this pressure. The other thing I'd say about Mourinho is this: the way he's gone about things at Roma this season feels completely different to how he has for the rest of his career. Uh, I think one of Mourinho's great strengths is how solid he makes teams and how difficult he can make them to be. And with Roma, we're just not getting that at all. Um, you know, they, they do play some pretty nice football um, this season. I think they have been unlucky because I think if you look at their expected goals, they are, they are either the highest or the second highest in the whole league. So they are, they are creating chances and possibly not getting as much as they should be from games. I think you could argue that that happened this weekend. But, you know, they conceded three goals against Venezia. It's just not like a Mourinho side to do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's surprising. And I feel like I feel like we aren't really seeing the, the real Mourinho at the moment. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the pressure that, he's, that, that there is at home at the moment, I feel like a lot of that has been created by Mourinho himself. 
Yeah, as, as you say, when we've seen Mourinho teams that have been successful in the past, the likes of Chelsea and and Juve, uh, sorry, and Inter, um, it's they've been very solid at the back. But the, this weekend in particular, you know, giving away a really soft penalty, the last goal where they tried to play offside and, and it didn't work at all. Um, you know, is he in January? Can you see them buying maybe two or three defenders? Because it seems that defense is a massive weak point. Like the, the midfield, you know, they've got Vera too, and 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 that looks okay. And and up front and and just behind, they've got the likes of Tammy Abraham and Zaniolo and stuff like that. But it but in defense, it, it looks like a major weakness, right? Yeah, I I actually think that Mancini. Um... Uh, we, we've already spoken about the Atalanta curse and he's definitely suffering from it. But but I also think that he is one of the most overrated players in the league. I think he's one of those defenders who, because he gets a few goals, people think he's good. But um, I think he's slow and I think he is hot-headed. And uh, because Ibanez is also quite hot-headed, it makes for you know quite a combustible combination. And... I, I I don't actually I, I like their fullbacks. I think Vinyas is okay, and um, they 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 look like they're okay in wide positions. It's that central defence that that concerns me. So I I don't know if there is money at, at Roma to spend. I imagine that Mourinho will probably be pressing for that. But yeah, if they had the opportunity to bring in maybe a more experienced centre back, then then it's probably a good idea. It's looking already like, you know, maybe top four is the best that Roma can hope for this season. And, and another side where perhaps it's like that is, is Juve. And I think we're quite surprised by that, but that's just the way it seems. Um, they got a 1-0 win on the weekend against Fiorentina with a late goal. Um, although Fiorentina were down to 10 men for the last sort of 20 minutes or so. But would you agree that fourth is probably the best that Juve can hope for after that sort of top three of Napoli, Milan and, and Inter? Um, I yeah, fourth or third. I think the they're quite. There's so many points behind Napoli and Milan. It would take quite a spectacular collapse from two teams for them to catch up. Um, I just don't know how you they're going to make up that many points. You know, I, I don't know how they're going to uh, Napoli and Milan going to lose the amount of points that you need to make up without you. Even you know, even if you were perfect from now until the end of the season, they would need Milan or, or Napoli to to drop their pace. So, I think it's going to be difficult. But I do, I do think, you know, if I had to put money on it, I would say that Juve will finish in the top four. But they need to improve, um, and I, I, I think. Uh, you know, I, I believe that Allegri will get time again because he's being paid so much. But I, I do think he has a good relationship with with Juve, and they will give him time. But I will say that he's been disappointing so far. Uh, you know, I, I know that their plans were disrupted by Ronaldo leaving at the last minute. But we are, you know, if you include the European games, we're kind of fifteen games into the season now, and it still is not clear at all to me how Allegri thinks Juve should be playing um, I don't think he's worked out the, how to get the best out of his best players you know Kiza, Dybala when they're allowed to play they seem to be doing quite well but they're not even playing all of the matches and they're changing positions a lot um, for some reason Rabiot seems to be a fixture in the team even kind of as a left side midfielder something I just don't understand and um, to me it's crazy that 
at a time when you need to be picking up points in the league, um, you're not playing one of your strongest players like Quadrado. Um, you know, he came on kind of with 20 minutes to go at the weekend and he got the winner. But surely at a time when they need to be making up ground in the league and they've already qualified in the Champions League, so there'll be opportunities to rest players in that competition, you need to be playing your best players all of the time. And I just don't understand what Allegri is really trying to do. Yeah, I think there's quite a few players in the, in that Juve midfield in particular that that you know get targeted a lot for criticism. You mentioned Rabiot there, also the likes of Ben Tanker and Artur. Um, Quadrado on that right-hand side, obviously you can play as a right midfielder or a right back. He's also been a bit of a divisive figure. I know some fans really like him and some fans think he's a bit wasteful down that side. Where do you stand on him? It, it seems you'd like to see him play most weeks, eh? I, I think Cuadrado is one of Juve's best players. I think he's adaptable, so you can play him as a fullback if you want to, uh, or you can play him further at the pitch. Um, I think he does everything well. He defends well and he attacks well. I mean, I, I don't love how easy he goes to ground sometimes, but in terms of of a player, I think he's he's pretty complete. Um, and and for me, he would be playing. You know, he'd be one of the players that would play all of the games. If you, if you look at Inter and Milan, and and uh, you know. Uh, Napoli, they they have certain players who, if they are fit, will play nine out of ten games. You know, Brozovic and Barella and Skriniar and De Vrij, they they play all of the time. Uh, Osimhen and Koulibaly and uh, Fabian Ruiz, if they are fit, they they play all of the time. And Juve just haven't had that. Everyone is coming in and out of the team. And I think one of the things that would help Allegri a lot, apart from the fact that he needs to decide on a formation, is playing you know, those kind of starting players all of the time to give the team a bit of consistency. And Cuadrado would be one of those for me. Yeah, still not overly convincing at all from Juve at the moment. But but a team that does seem to have hit their stride the last couple of weeks is Lazio. Uh, they got a 3-0 win against Salernitana on the weekend. Um, although Salernitana did actually hit the woodwork a couple of times in the second half. So perhaps that 3-0 scoreline was slightly flattering. Salantana certainly could have got a goal. But but it does seem the last couple of weeks, Luis Alberto's come back into the team. It seems quite settled. I know you're a fan of the Lazio front three with Immobile and, and Felipe Anderson and Pedro. Um, so would you say that Sari's starting to, you know, sort of get a tune out of that side? It, it looks that way. Um, I think after the Verona defeat, I was... I was really quite worried about where things were going with Lazio. It, it, it wasn't just that they they were losing games. It looked like Sarri and Luis Alberto had kind of fallen out. Um, didn't look like the, anyone was, you know, the, the board were particularly happy with anything. Um, but the last two or three games, they seem to be back on track. Um, and I think you mentioned Luis Alberto. I think that is important. Um, this weekend, they played with a midfield three of Luis Alberto, Milinkovic, Savic and Cataldi. And I think that works really nicely. So it looks like Sarri has convinced himself that that Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savic can play in the same team, and and that's really I, I think that is key to them doing well. Um, and Immobile, I, I was a little bit worried at the beginning of the season because he has struggled a bit for Italy, who play a similar way to how Sarri wants to play. I thought he might struggle a bit more with Lazio this season, but that just hasn't been the case. I think he's been excellent again. He scored again at the weekend. So yeah, I think things are looking really good for, for Lazio and whilst I don't think they 
if I had to choose four teams who are going to qualify the Champions League, they would be in that list. I think they do have a chance still. Yes, yeah, interesting you mentioned Immobile, um, because as you, as you say, Italy play a 4-3-3 and, and now so do Lazio, having played a 3-5-2 for you know, five, five or six years. Um, so do you think that by playing in that system now with Lazio, that will then help him for Italy and he can start to sort of replicate that form at international level? Because his record for Italy has been, has been a shadow of what it's been at Lazio, hasn't it? I really hope that that is what we see, that he, you know, playing in a similar formation at Lazio, he, he learns to play that system. You know, it seems like he's doing really well at the moment and that he can do that. I, I think there was kind of um, some support generally for the idea that Italy needed to look to someone else, um, even after winning the Euros. But if you look at the other strikers who have kind of been touted as a, as a replacement for Immobile, none of them have done even close to what he's been doing in Serie A. So, uh, you know, if I, I think he's, he's going to miss the, the qualifier this week because he's injured. But if all things are even, for me, he would still be starting for Italy. And, and hopefully with this new um, kind of setup that he has in his club side, that, can, that, that form can translate into the national team. We'll move on to Atalanta now. Um who picked up a win uh, on Saturday against Cagliari. Um, Of course, Cagliari really struggling. This was a 2-1 win. I actually first want to touch on Atalanta's midweek game last week against Man United um, because I thought they were really good in that game and and, and definitely deserved to win the match. Uh, I know there was a little controversy about maybe a handball in the build-up to Ronaldo's equaliser. also a second equaliser, but but overall it looked like it looked more like the Atalanta that we've seen in the last three or four years. Is that how you saw things? Yeah, incredibly frustrating finish to that game. Um, because you're right, Atalanta deserved to win. Um, I mean, Man United scored a fantastic uh, first goal, and I think that's the only good thing they did in the game up until the equaliser, which. It's one of those goals, you know, I don't like, Sam, where you're just kicking it as hard as you can and hoping it goes in. I mean, it is a, it's a fantastic finish from Ronaldo, but the way it comes about, it, I, don't, I don't think it's a handball. It hits his hand, but I don't think it's yeah. a handball and just bounces out to him and he hits it and it goes in. After Man United looked like they weren't going to score, you know, for another month uh, in that second half, I thought Atalanta played really well and it, it was much, you know, much closer to what, what we expect from them. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to to get through still. I, I think it's still very much in their hands. Um, and if they play as well as they did, you know, in midweek, then then they should be okay. And and the the sort of main uh, you know standout from that game was how good Zapata was and and how many problems he caused United's defense. In particular, I think Harry Maguire. But then again, I think me and you could cause Harry Maguire problems because he's he's having them crisis of confidence for sure but but he he also got the winner against Cagliari which is why I bring him up because for you is he now sort of the figurehead of this new Atalanta where obviously for for sort of you know what was it three or four years we had Papu Gomez and Ilicic and it seemed that they ran the team and the rest around them were sort of the parts that made it all fit but but now Zapata seems to be that main guy is is, is that how you see things? Definitely. Um, I think you you mentioned Zapata a couple of weeks ago when he scored his 100th Serie A goal and 
he's just a complete striker. Um, I think he does everything well. He's he's obviously a, a physical presence, but possibly we underrate how good he is technically. He's really good on the ball. His finishing is excellent. Um, he's quick. And his goal scoring record is in the last few years for Atalanta has just been, you know, one of the best in Europe. Um, and now when I see Atalanta lining up, I, I think in one of the Champions League games, for example, this season, possibly the first game against Manchester United, he didn't start. And I, I felt that was crazy um, because I do feel like he is very much Atalanta's best attacking player now. Yeah, I really want to see him and Muriel playing together a bit more again because the last sort of three months of last season, they were they were unbelievable. And I think if we saw them together again, they would start, you know, putting teams to the sword once more. Yeah, I, I agree with you about that. Um, you know, I, I like Ilicic. I think he's he's a lot of fun and he had that period kind of two seasons ago where where he was amazing. But for me now their best to, you know, their best attack would be Moriel and Zapata together. Um, and I definitely think that's the way they should be going with with probably Malinowski behind them. Um, I think that's a really potent front three. And um, it's, it's a bit surprising that we aren't seeing that more often. Or, or even Pasina behind them, who, of course, was excellent last season. He, he, he returned from injury against Cagliari. So, yeah, some excellent attacking options they've got there. Um I want to move on to the bottom half of the table now and, and we'll start with Genoa, who got a draw with Empoli. I, I think it was on Friday night. It was 2 all. They had quite a few draws and quite a few sort of high-scoring games, but it wasn't enough to save Balladini, who was sacked. Um, and they've already replaced him with Andrei Shevchenko. Um, a first touch on Balladini. Can he feel hard done by or, or was this always coming, really? Um... <laughs> I see you've got a I smile guess. on your face because he's been <laughs> sacked about three or four times now, hasn't he? Um, I, I actually read a stat this week that um, in his whole career, he has only completed a full season once. In his whole career, I mean, he's quite, he's not, he's not that young. He's been managing, you know, for the best part of 30 years, I reckon, tw- certainly 20 plus years. And I think the only time he completed a season was with San Benedetto, San Benedetto in kind of the third division or the second division. So I guess he, he can't be surprised because it happens to him all the time. Um, and yeah, I'm not surprised either. I think it was, it was on the cards, even though Genoa, you know, I mean, they haven't had the worst starts of the season. They're, they're not in the relegation zone. But, um, but I, don't, I don't really know what their board expects because this is, this is kind of the standard of the side. I am, I am quite excited about Shevchenko coming in. I think he's done... Um, He's done a good job with Ukraine, and the other. I, I heard him being interviewed um, uh, towards the end of last season, and you can see how enthusiastic he is about Italy. He obviously has a lot of affection for for Italy because of his time there. He speaks good Italian. He's he's a very likable character, and yeah, I really hope he comes in and is able to to do something with this Genoa team. I, I think they have some some good players. You know, I mentioned Destro all the time. He's he's had a good start to the season. Um, and they've got uh, Caicedo as well. So they've got some interesting players. Um, I, I think they're going to be in a relegation battle from now on to the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, if, if Shiva keeps them up, then then hopefully that will mean that, that we'll see him, you know, kind of have a, have a career in Italy because I think he'd be another kind of interesting character to add to the, the managers that we already have. 
I think Genoa might be in a relegation battle until the end of time, to be honest. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember a time when they weren't in a relegation battle. But yeah, it's interesting that you talk about Shevchenko there because you're right, he did a very solid job with Ukraine. I think overachieved with them in the European Championships. I don't think many expected them to make the quarterfinals. Um, and it's, again, from that sort of era of players who have now become managers, the likes of Gattuso and Pirlo, um, and, and one or two others. How do you sort of, I, I guess it's hard to compare him because he's been into international management, they've done club management, but it, do you feel that he can do a better job than those sort of guys or or, or similar sort of level or just, just way, way too early to tell right now? I, uh, I, I just don't, I don't know the answers to that question, really. I don't know. I, I agree, you know, I, I also think he overachieved with Ukraine. I, I think he'd got them playing quite well. I, I really like that he's, He's working with Tassotti. Tassotti was actually the assistant manager when Shiva was playing for Milan and they've gone on to form this relationship. He was the assistant at Ukraine and he's come with him to Genoa. And I think that is going to help him. Um, I think Tassotti is an excellent number two. Uh, but with all those players, with all those managers uh, that you've just mentioned, I'd say that all of those guys can go on to have very good careers. And I still feel like Gattuso and Pirlo and, and Shiva. Um, there's no reason why they couldn't go on and manage one of the biggest sides, you know, in Italy or even in Europe. They're still very young um, in, in terms of their managerial careers. So I think for all of them, the jury is still out. Yeah, and we'll, we'll move on to um, one of the games of the weekend now, actually, which was Udinese Sassuolo, which, which ended 3-2 to Udinese. Um, both of these teams now are, are five points above the relegation zone. Um, which which is a which is a decent gap after what eleven or twelve games, but in particular for Udinese, are, are you concerned at all for them that that they might get dragged in there this season, or do you think both these sides would be okay and are more likely to sort of push up towards mid table? I've I've actually been impressed with Udinese um, this season. I was a bit worried for them because they lost you know a couple of their best players. They lost most of their goalkeeper and the pool who was so important for them last season. But they've they've actually started the season really well. They they look solid. Uh, I think this was the first win in five, but but the other four were all draws. So they are picking up points. And um, I also really like this new striker they have, Better. I, I didn't really know much about him at all before I saw him for Udinese this season, but he looks like he could be a, a real player. He scored again this weekend. And so I think Udinese will be fine. I, you know, I always thought Sassuolo would be fine, and I still think that. But I would argue that their start to the season has been a bit more disappointing than Udinese's because we probably expected them to be quite a bit further up the league at this stage. Yeah, really not managing to sort of push on from what they achieved last season, where they they weren't too far away from qualifying for Europe. But but one guy who has been a bit of a standout for them uh, is uh, Davide Flatesi, who scored uh, in three of his last four games. Twenty two year old midfielder. Um, I think you know where I'm going with this, but he's he's sort of you know uh, coming to the team at a similar age to Locatelli came into the team at Sassuolo. Do you see any sort of similarities between those two or, or can you compare him to another Italian midfielder? And, 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 and is he, you know, another really exceptional or, or, or on the way to becoming another exceptional Italian midfielder? Because that, they've got so many at the moment, haven't they? I think he is, uh, he, in terms of the way he plays, he's quite different to, um, to Locatelli. I think he's 
possibly uh, more similar to, to Barella in that he's uh, a bit more all action. Um, he's already a fixture in the under 21s. And um, I, I, if he carries on like this, I expect him to, to get called up to the national team before too long. Um, I think it is really good that Sassuolo, when they lose, you know, really important players, they are brave enough to to replace them with with youngsters. And um, it looks like Fratesi is is coming through, which is which is great news for Italy. Yeah, another another top talent for Italy in in that midfield area. Although it, it might mean that Roberto Mancini has to drop Brian Cristante at some point. So <laughs> uh, tough decision on the way for him. Uh, moving on to another game from the weekend, which was Bologna getting a 2-1 win away at Sampdoria. Um, I know that you've said that you feel Sampdoria have been a bit unlucky this season. Uh, they've had some they've had some tough fixtures, um, but, that, but equally they aren't getting the results. I know that Massimo Ferrero has come out and backed Diversa again in the past few hours. We're, we're, we're recording this Tuesday evening, guys, just in case he does go on and sack him. <laughs> um, but it, it, it does sort of feel like he, he's a bit doomed. Is is that how you feel as well? And maybe sort of one defeat after the international break and and he'll be gone. Is is that what you're thinking as well? Um yeah, I'm I'm worried for Davessa now. And I, I suppose I'm starting to change my mind a little bit as well. I think he had started the season well and I, I felt like um Samp had, had a really tough start in terms of fixtures so they probably were due a few more points than well they deserved a few more points than they had but the last few games have been very winnable and uh you know they haven't they haven't done much better um and we know that Ferrero is a bit of a hothead um I think Samp were booed off at the end of the game this weekend so that's never a good sign um on the other on the other side of things I think I probably owe Bologna kind of a little bit of praise because I was quite critical about them at the start of the season. Um, I thought they were going to be total rubbish, and actually, they they've had a really really good start to the season. I think they're they're ninth now, and they're level on points with uh, with Juve and Fiorentina. So they're actually only a couple of points off the European, uh, only one point off the European places. Um, and yeah, Mihailovic is doing a good job. They they play some nice football. They deserve to win this weekend. So yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, contrasting fortunes at, at the moment for those two teams. Sampdoria's problem seems to be that they push the top teams hard, but don't quite get the points. And then when they play a poorer team, they drop to their level and don't quite get the points. So you're thinking, well, where are they going to get these these points from in the end? And that, that certainly seems to be their issue right now. On to the final game of the weekend. And th- this was perhaps the shock result of the weekend, actually. Spezia beating Torino 2-1. Uh, sorry, 2-1. I said it was 1-0. 1-0. Um, was this maybe a sign that Spezia still have that little bit of magic that we saw last season when we expected them to come up and go straight back down and in the end they were absolutely fine? Is this a sign that perhaps they can reproduce those performances and 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 stay up again this year? Um, I I don't know. I I think I think Spezia have a chance of staying up this season. Um, I feel like this is a, an extremely disappointing result for Torino, who I feel had kind of come through a, a set of difficult fixtures, playing quite well and not getting many points. And now they have a, they had a, you know on paper they had a few very winnable games in which I expect them to climb the league. 
And so it's very disappointing from their point of view. It's a big win for Spezia because if they hadn't won, they they would be in the relegation zone now. Um, but if if I had to, you know, tell you which three teams were going down, then, then Spezia probably would still be one of those three. Yes, yeah, so it's really tight at the bottom of the table, actually, uh, between these sides. At the moment, Spezia are up to 16th, two points above the relegation zone but but as as i say there's really not much to uh to between these sides so uh still very early days yeah to say Sa- S- actually playing salernitana next um if if daversa survives the international break then he needs to win that game uh i think to keep his job yeah i think you're probably right if, if, if they if they lose to salernitana who are currently second bottom uh it's it's not looking great at all, is it? Um, so yeah, crucial game for him um, if if he gets the opportunity to play that. Uh, sorry, to manage that. We're now going to move on to international fixtures just to finish off this episode because it's it's an important week coming up for Italy, isn't it? Where they could qualify for next year's World Cup. Um, I think we I think we both know that the big game for them comes on Friday night where they host Switzerland, who are sort of their challengers for top spot. Um, Italy have the home advantage. Do you expect them to have any problems? Um, or is this a game that you expect them to come through? Um, I, it, it, I feel like um, they, they should be winning this match. You know, it, it it has similarities to the game against Sweden uh, last time Italy tried to qualify for the World Cup, I think, in that they they need to win. Um, but I feel a lot more confident about Roberto Mancini's side and their ability to, to break teams down um, than I did about Venturas. Um, there are a few injury concerns. I think Immobile, Daniel or Pellegrini have all already pulled out. Um, there's doubts about Barella and... Kellini, so some pretty, you know, important characters might be missing. But even with all of that, I I do think that Italy are in a good place mentally. Mancini seems confident and uh, happy with how things are going, so I think that's a good sign. And if they if they play like they can, then they should be able to beat Switzerland. Yeah, those two teams are currently tied at the top of the group on fourteen points. Uh, but we, we did see Switzerland, of course, knock out. Um, France in, in the Euros and, and they pushed Spain to penalties. So we know that they, they can be a tough team to break down. Um, it's always interesting to see how a side sort of copes after winning a major tournament. Um, you know, we, we've seen in particular, I guess, with France a couple of times where they have like this massive drop off after, after winning. How have you felt that Italy have coped with, with, with winning the Euros, because obviously their their unbeaten run did end, you know, in the last international break against Spain, um, but obviously a very good Spain team. So any worries about a sort of hangover from the Euros or or do you think they're still carrying on pretty seamlessly? I think um, that there probably was a slight hangover because um, they, they also dropped points against... Um, I can't remember who it was against now in the group. Bulgaria, um, I believe it was. Yeah, so they, they dropped points in that match, which is really a game they should have been winning. And that's what's made this group so much tighter than I think it needed to be. Um, 
And that possibly, I don't want to say overconfidence, but just that feeling that things are going so well and almost um, when, when you win such a big tournament, it's, it's quite difficult, I'd say, to, to focus again so quickly. Um, but um, maybe that result is also kind of, will also help focus them. The fact that they know they need to get a result this uh, on Friday um, will maybe see them return to form. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the, the Spain game, you, you're playing one of the, for me, one of the best teams in the world. And um, they went down to 10 players after kind of 40 minutes when they were still in the game. So it, it's, it's okay to, to lose that kind of match, I think. Um, but yeah, it, I suppose the, the biggest concern I have about this game coming up is that they become stressed because they missed out on the, on the World Cup last time round and... Uh, you know, they obviously definitely don't want that to happen again, but um, but I do feel like it's in their hands. Yeah, certainly seems to be. And uh, this game is at the Stadio Olimpico against Switzerland, so Donnarumma probably won't be getting booed by everyone this time, <laughs> like he like he did in Milan. Um, and then they play Northern Ireland next week, which is a game that you'd expect them to win. So it so it does seem to come down to how things go on Friday night and, and we'll have to see how things pan out, uh, hopefully better than they did against Sweden back in, what was that? 2017, I think. So that, yeah, that was a dark, so. that, that was, was a really uh, dark day. I remember Painful, that. Um, painful. Yeah, that was awful, but, uh, but no, you'll be fine. I'm sure all will go well for Italy. Um, best of luck to them. We'd love to see them at the world cup, of course. Um, and thank you for joining me, Francesco. Thanks everyone for listening. And we shall catch you again soon after the international break. Bye-bye.